there's a saying that those who are too heavenly minded are no earthly good. I'd like to offer another saying that those who are too earthly minded will never bring any heavenly good. But those who are held captive by pictures of heaven will paint heaven on the earth. There's a quote from Randy Alcorn in his great work on heaven, and he says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for this present world were just those who thought most about back there. You guys are wondering, is there a dog in here? The answer is yes, but here's, here's the thing. So next week, we're going to talk about dogs, perhaps, because um, we're talking about the new heavens and the new earth, where all things are made new. So perhaps we will be hearing barks for all of eternity, so get used to it. This is just a picture of eternity. So today, what I would like to show you is that you dream too little of heaven. And it shouldn't be, it should not be, that the beauty of heaven is so rare in your heart. Don't miss what I just said. And it shouldn't be that the majesty of heaven is so empty in your mind. We have grown very dull in our thinking and in our desires. What I, today, I'd like to encourage you to stop suppressing your groanings for heaven, your cravings for paradise, your thirst for the eternal waters, and your hunger for the eternal wedding feast. What I'd like to do today is to encourage you to stop suppressing those beauties and unleash them in your imagination. What we imagine shapes us way more than you realize. If you imagine a future that is hellish, what you will find is hell is beginning to come right now. If you imagine a future of non-existence, what you will find is that today you will begin to cease to exist. But if you imagine a future of the eternal promises of paradise and heaven with God, you will begin to find that you are bringing heaven to the earth right now. We have to learn to set our imagination upon heaven. We're in our series called The Gospel. And this word gospel means good news. It is not advice about how you should live, but news about who God is and what he has done and what he has secured for you in your future. And the goal of this series is that we would see the gospel as one truth with many parts. In each and every single one of you, you have heartbreak in your life. You have loss you have pain, you have suffering, you have burdens, and there is a part of this one gospel truth, a part of it, that will bring healing balm to you. We're going to be 20 weeks in this series by the time we finish. So one, two, or maybe three of these parts of the gospel are going to be the healing balm for you. So you have to listen closely, and you've got to come each week, because when you come each week, you're going to be closer to finding that one healing balm for you. And today we look at the healing balm of the ascension. This is the only events of Christ. We're going to look at the events of the incarnation, Christmas, the cross, the ascension, resurrection. But the ascension is the only one we're going to look at two parts. Because last week we saw what the ascension brings to the earth. But this week we see what God is preparing for you right now in this moment. 
So let's look. John 14, verses 2 through 4, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 2. So here's the first part. John 14, 2 through 4. In my Father's house, this is Jesus speaking, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I could go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. And then we jump to 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 12. Here's the imagination part. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, so what no one has been able to imagine, now these things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? Listen, so also now, so no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit whom is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us from God. So here's what that's saying. You can't imagine heaven. No one has. But now the Spirit of God is in you, helping you imagine the things of heaven. Jesus comes on the scene. He ascends. He sends down his Spirit to help you see the things that the Christ, the King, sees now even in the heavenly places. So, first point. You're longing for home. First thing that I want you to see is that your longing for home begins your search for heaven. We have to learn to let our spiritual aches show us that something is wrong here. And if we will realize something is wrong, then we have to say, well, if there's something is wrong, then that means there must be something that is right. Why do I long for these things to be made right? Well, there must be something greater than this place. And what we have to do is learn to seek comfort, not from this world, but for the world that is to come. And if we do that, then we will find ourselves comforted now. So you think of the comforts of a fire when you live up in the mountains, though none of you live there. You live in Florida. And so you need the comforts of an air conditioner. And you need a good, solid roof over your head for when the hurricanes come. And... You think of, in that home, the comforts of curling up next to someone you love watching a movie. You think of the sounds of children laughing as you prepare dinner. You think of sitting at the table, laughing with your friends and family, and eating a great dessert that's just like sends your taste buds dancing. You chase those things because you chase heaven. Because when you get glimmers of those things here on the earth, do you know what that is? That's you taking a hammer to the walls of this earth and looking then through the cracks and seeing what is to come. Those are just glimmers of what your future beholds. Jesus says in our verses that he ascends to go and prepare a place for you, a room in his father's house, a room at the end of the hallway where you get there and you see your name etched into the door. It was etched in by the nails of the cross. That is the deep cry of the human heart. And this cry has two kinds. You're hearing it now even. 
And here's the cry. The cry is, something's wrong. The cry is that there is a deep ache within, within you. And that ache is telling you things are not the way they ought to be. When you feel pain, when you feel lost, you're not meant to experience that. You're not designed for that, but you're experiencing it because something is wrong here. When you become a Christian, though, we're told of a different kind of cry. A cry of the way things will one day be made right. And you actually get to have a picture of that. It says, once Christ ascends to the heavens... He opens up the gates of heavens and then he sends down his spirit and opens up the gate of your soul and then the spirit is then dwelling within you. And you know what the spirit's doing in you? Giving you pictures of what is to come. Before you're a Christian, you can't see it. All you know is something is wrong. But when you become a Christian, you see what will one day be made right. And it rings true in your heart and in your ears. We love to see things transformed. We love watching shows of houses that are transformed. We love people watching people get makeovers. We love hearing stories of people being transformed. And before you're a Christian, you know that you love those stories and those things, but you don't know why. But after you become a Christian, you know that you love those things because that is your future. Not just transformed now, but a complete metamorphosis that is to come. So you've got to start imagining your future. This is our second point, imagining heaven. Imagining heaven is one of the greatest weapons against hell. Hell would have you crawling on this earth like a thirsty dog, searching from one water to the next, hoping that it's going to satisfy. And so we go to the things of this world, hoping that they're going to quench our thirst, only the water is too th salty. And what ends up happening is we get thirstier and thirstier, and then we find ourselves enslaved to the things of this world. We can't leave that puddle of water because we're hoping it's going to satisfy, but it never does, and it only makes us thirstier and thirstier, enslaved, captive to a world that will be swallowed up by death. The greatest, hell's greatest trick is to make you think you can get heaven here. You dream of a new job, a new home, a new spouse, to go from home to job to spouse, only to find that you are still thirsty. Because you're searching for the things of this world to finally satisfy you. And what you're doing is you're rooting yourself here in the earth. And as, this, as you root yourself in, you find yourself thirstier and thirstier. And so your roots dig deeper and deeper. Only in the end, what you have found is that you have dug so deep that you have dug into hell. And you're stuck there. And what now, because you are so dug into hell, you begin to bring hell into the world around you. And you don't even realize you're doing it but you can't help it. And you're thinking you're doing good in the world, but you're actually bringing hell in the world. And you think you're doing good for your children and for your friends and for your spouse, but you're actually bringing hell. But you think it's good. You've been mistaken. I remember talking with someone who was imagining someone that they loved doing something horrible to them. And I watched as this person changed right in front of me, became a completely different person, it was like hell had its grip on this person. And it turns out that what this person was imagining wasn't even true. 
but they became a completely different person because in their mind they imagined it to be true and they convinced themselves it was and that was the story that they told changed in the snap of a finger. In Colossians, Paul says, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are below. We live in a period of time that would say there is no such thing as absolute truth. We can't really be sure of anything. Now, here's the problem with that. If you keep saying that, then that means to see through everything is to see nothing at all. And what our verses are saying is that there is a truth. There's an absolute truth. And there's nothing more real than heaven. And if you will set your imagination upon that, then you will have set your imagination upon truth and upon life. But if you will not, then you're setting your imagination upon death, non-life, non-truth. So we have to learn to imagine what is to come. So the Bible helps us do that. I'll show you six ways of so many ways that the Bible helps you imagine the truth of heaven. So first we saw imagine truth, imagine the truth of heaven as your home. Jesus says you have a room in my father's house. Now I'm going to tell you something about our area especially in Florida. We have made comfort king. We seek it like crazy. We want it so bad and I'm going to tell you what happens when you seek comfort here on this earth. It fades so quickly. And even when you find something that you think is going to make you comfortable, do you know what happens? You all of a sudden become terrified you're going to lose it. And so you never actually find yourself comfortable. But if you will set your imagination upon the heavens in the room that is in your father's house that is secured for you, you can actually experience comfort now. You can actually experience a real comfort and then the things of the earth actually become more comfortable to you because you're not scared to lose them. So if you seek heaven, you get earth and the comforts of earth thrown in. But if you seek the things of earth, you get nothing. Second, Jesus talks of heaven as a paradise in Luke 23. You think of the greatest beautiful beaches of Greece, the mountains of the Alps, and the waterfall of Niagara. These are just glimmers, cracks, in the walls of the earth that show you what heaven is going to be like. You think of food that in heaven will make your taste buds eternally dance. And you you think of your vacations. Combine all that together. Great pictures of things. These beautiful vacations that you have gone on, eating this great food. Do you know you're chasing heaven in those things? And if you chase heaven only in those things... You're not going to get it. But if you will chase heaven, you're going to actually enjoy your vacations more because you're going to know that those vacations are giving you a glimmer of what is to come. And so your imagination gets set on the future. And you say, wow, this is... We've got to learn to do that better. I hope you're catching the pattern here. If you set your imagination upon heaven, it makes earth all the better. Third... You have to imagine heaven as a world of light. In Revelation 22.5, we are told that the glory of God will light the sky. There's no sun. There's no need for a lamp. His glory is touching all things. It's brightening all things. This is like the beatific vision, the vision of the beauty of God. And his light is so great that when it touches everything else, it makes everything else all the more beautiful. Because his light is on it. His glory is on it. Fourth, 
Imagine heaven as a place of perfect contentment and peace. Listen to this. This is wild. Isaiah 11.6. The wolf and the lamb will dwell together. And the leopard shall lie down and the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. So what you have here is the picture of a wolf and a lamb playing together. You have the picture of the king of the jungle and a little baby zebra cuddled up together. Everything says that that lion should eat that baby zebra, but he does not. This is the vision of the future. And not just that, did you see what was happening? A little child is leading them, teaching them how to play together. This child is like their king. This is going back all the way to Genesis 1 where God tells humanity have dominion over all things. Meaning we're supposed to be kings and queens of this earth. We're going to have great jobs to do in the future. I'm getting a little bit close to next week and I need to be careful. But it's going to be amazing. We're going to have great jobs to do. I mean, okay, let me just take this a little bit further. And just maybe blow your mind a little bit. We're thinking, I mean, we have this fierce, by, by the way, you know those videos that you see where you see like this, this fierce, ferocious animal playing with this little baby that's not, like, that's not of theirs. They're supposed to be eating this baby, but it's not happening. We see animals doing that. Do you know why we love those videos? It's a picture of what is to come. All right, let me, let me go, let me go further. So God's going to make all things new, everything. Everything that he's created, he's going to make new. Okay. Let's talk about dinosaurs. He has promised to make all things new. And he has promised that humanity will rule over all of his creation. With him, as people ruling underneath him. So, I'm just saying. Could it be that we will be ruling over the dinosaurs? Could it be that your children's greatest dream, I know you guys think this sounds crazy right now, but could it be your kid's greatest dream of riding on a dinosaur might be something that comes true in the eternal heavens? Now, if that sounds a little bit too far-fetched for you and a little bit too crazy, well, you know what I say. I say your imagination is not reaching to the far truths that God has promised, where he will make all things new. If you don't believe it's true, then yeah, what I said sounds crazy, but if you believe it's true, that is our future. And not only all creatures will be at peace and content, but you will finally be at peace. There will be no hurt, no pain, no death, no suffering. Every tear will be wiped away. We're told that the glory that we're entering into the suffering we have endured is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. And you know what that means about heaven? It's not only working forwards, but it's working backwards. And it comes back into our existence right now and it redeems all things and brings beauty up out of the ashes. Fifth thing about imagining heaven is that before Christ comes and all things are made new... Before that happens, we will be up in the heavens, and we'll be able to see what's happening down on the earth. And we'll see it, and we'll see the sorrows upon the earth, but we won't see them with sorrow, though we know that they are sorrowful things, because we will know the mind of God, and we will know what he is up to, and we will know that he always redeems all things. 
And so we could see the sorrows down here and even smile at them because we know God is up to something. And we see, we're told that in Luke, that all of the heavens begin to rejoice when one person comes and finds God for the first time. Everything will be a reason to celebrate. And you will find your friends, your spouses, your neighbors, well, hopefully your one spouse, but with you, and you will love them perfectly, and they will love you perfectly. That is what is to come. And that's what awaits you, but please hear this. You have to secure it now. It's our third point, securing home. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now listen to this. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So if the Spirit is guaranteeing us this is our home, then why am I saying to secure it? Because you have to make what the Bible says, make your calling and election sure. Meaning this, if heaven is truly your home now, then you ought to be changing the way that you live now. It ought to be just simply changing you. So the same way, if you see your child at the edge of a mountain cliff, and you imagine them falling, you know what you're going to go do? You're going to go run to them. You're gonna, it's going to cause you to act, and you're going to pull them back from that cliff. The same way that if you are imagining heaven as your future, it will change you now. So if you're not changing, then it means you need to make your calling and election sure. Don't let hell steal the future that God has made for you. Loose the chains of earth's grip on you and hell's grip on you. When you choose to be bitter over joyful, that is hell's grip on you. Now, I'm not saying you don't have tons of reasons to be bitter. I bet you do. I bet you could wallow in the misery that you have been through. You have every reason to. Maybe you even have every right to. I'm not minimizing what you've been through, but what I'm maximizing is your future. And if your future is really that true, then it ought to swallow up and overwhelm the bitterness that you feel, and it ought to bring joy into your life. When you choose to withhold forgiveness towards others, that is hellish grip on you. I'm not saying that you haven't been hurt badly by people. I'm not minimizing that. What I'm doing is maximizing the reality that we have done some pretty heinous things to God. Now, if that sounds upsetting, if that sounds like I'm being a little too harsh on you, well, then you're just being too much of an earthling. Because if you set your mind on the things above and you have the mind of Christ and you, the Spirit is in you giving you the eyes to see what God sees, then you're going to see the things that you're doing and you're going to say, what 
am I doing? Who am I? I'm a worm and not a man, as David says, King David. But then, well, that drives you right to the cross. And you find forgiveness there. You find rest. Or this, when you choose to be self-righteous over Christ-righteous, well, that's hell's grip on you. Now, what's the difference between the two? Well, when you're self-righteous, you say, all of my life, I have worked so hard. I have been panting to do all the most good that I can do. I, God has seen me trying so hard, so he's got to love me. He's got to accept me. He's got to know I'm worth something because look at how hard I'm working down here. That's self-righteousness. That's saying, I can do this. I do not need a hero. I do not need a savior. But Christ's righteousness says, I, ha- I can never do enough. But I, I'm gifted the perfection of Christ upon me and I can rest in that. If you are self-righteous, self-righteousness has a pride in it that says, my comfort is more important than someone else's suffering. And so you watch as someone suffers. Self-righteousness has a pride about it that says, well, you choose fear over courage because it says, my life is worth more than someone else's. But if your head is in heaven, then you will fear nothing, not even your feet in the grave. When you choose jealousy over contentment, that is a hellish grip on you. Because when you are gripping on this, the things of this earth, what you do is you begin to build your kingdom here on this earth. And as you build your kingdom here on this earth and you see somebody else with a greater kingdom than you... You get jealous, you get envious, and you want to take them down. And you find yourself, it's so hard for you to be happy for your friends, and that's hell's grip on you. Because you're building your life here on the earth, and you're gripping in here on this earth. But if you will reach for the things of heaven, you will know that you have a treasure there that nothing on this earth can compare to. And if that's true, you can see your friends do well, and you can be happy for them. Because you have a treasure that awaits you. And if that's true, it should change you now. Secure your room in heaven by faith in Christ today. And if you want to grow more, keep reaching further into the heavens. So what does that look like? What does it look like for you to reach into the heavens and hold tightly there? Well, this is your path home. This is our last point, your journey to heaven. And what this looks like is you're actually just following Christ. But, you know, we don't really know what it means to follow Christ. So let me just clarify. The events of Christ's life, that's what you follow. Christmas, the cross, Easter, that is your path. That's what it means to follow him. And so when you feel lonely in this world, that is your path towards Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, he left his home in heaven. And he he left his father. And he came among people who rejected him. He felt the loneliness of this earth, and especially he felt lonely on the cross. And that loneliness that you feel, that is the pull of heaven towards your room in heaven. And so you follow his path that he took to get you. Don't let your loneliness be wasted. Your spouse, 
your kids, your friends, they will not quench. There's a loneliness in you that's only meant to be filled by Christ. On the way here, I was listening to a song. And the, the, the songwriter wrote that it seems the weight of his love for this girl and her love for him was too strong for them. And then he calls this love a curse. And I don't know what he meant by it, but the thing that I thought of is, wow, we seek love from our spouses that we can only really get from God. And then what happens is that, that love becomes a curse because we're going to our spouses to get what only God can give us. And we can do this with our kids. We can do this with everything. The curse of taking something amazing and then turning it into the God of your life. That's you rooting yourself into the earth. And if you're not careful, hell's grip is going to be upon you. So you have to take the path and find that it's him and him alone who will quench that spot in you. When you feel guilt and shame in your life, the sting of sin, that is your journey home. Because listen, listen to me, that feeling, don't run from it. Embrace it because it will lead you straight to the cross and you will there find your king, your God, crucified for you. Dealing with all of your sin and all of your shame. Then you will find that the sting is gone. That's the only real solution. And then there from the cross, when you feel burdens in your life, when you feel loss, when you feel empty, when you feel a broken heart, this is your journey home. Because God says, take up your cross and follow me. He says that, the, the, look, the cross always comes before the resurrection. And so that means your pain, that's the part of your journey to the resurrection life on the other side. Suffering on the other side is resurrection. Heartbreak on the other side, resurrection. So take the path. Don't be scared of it. There's always resurrection on the other side of it. The road home is filled with cross bearers. There are no crown wearers in heaven who weren't once cross bearers on the earth. And then lastly, when you have desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, that's part of your journey home. It's telling you, screaming at you, this world is not your home. Listen. Listen to your heart. It's telling you. It's guiding you. And the spirit within you is saying, go, go to your father. Cling to, the, cling to the things of heaven, not of the earth. Because if you don't, if you will not let go of the things of the earth, you never reach for heaven. Let go of them. Let go of the things that you are reaching to to give you what only God can give you. Heaven is where God is. Delight yourself in him. And he will finally satisfy you. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, let your glory be so great, so wonderful, so beautiful that we finally let go of the things of the earth that we are clinging to, hoping that they're going to give us the things that we can only get from you. Let us stop falling for the tricks of hell and try to find heaven here and realize heaven is found where you are. Help us to be people who will follow you to the ends of the earth, 
who will follow you through the cross into the resurrection. And help us look up into the heavens where you are, knowing that you, our King, are preparing a home for us, a room just for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.